When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome along to Second Captains at the Irish Times on the Monday of a big, big week. Champions League knockout will keep us going through Tuesday and Wednesday, by which stage we might be just about ready to explode with excitement about Ireland's trip to Twickenham on Saturday. And while we wouldn't wish injury upon any sports person, if one of the England players did have to go down... No harm for us that it was Dan Cole, their tight head prop, who's missed only one of their last 45 tests and is seen as the embodiment of their powerful forward pack. His possible replacement, Murph? David Wilson, short of match fitness, according to The Guardian. Or maybe Henry Thomas, still learning at the highest level, according to the same article. That's the kind of replacement. I, like that. I don't know which one I'll go for more. I think I might go for the still learning at the highest level if you're Ooh, a prop. Fitness, I think though. Think Keen. One way or the other, Keen Healy is one happy, happy loose head this morning, Ken. Mm. He's chowing down on whatever, whatever Keen Healy eats on the Monday of a, whatever raw meat Keen Healy gets his hands on on the Monday of a big test. He's on test. a strict raw meat diet, hopefully, <laughs> this week. I imagine he's pretty disappointed. You want to test yourself against the best? I would have thought so, yeah. Nah. You want to eat alive some young prop who's only played three times? Nah. I think, yeah, I think, you know, you get to certain stages in your sporting career and you decide, you know, I've had enough of this whole testing myself against the best thing. I'd rather look brilliant against some sub- substandard opposition. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think, you know, it's a potpourri. I think you can mix them up. On top of that, of with Big Lawrence Delalio furiously backpedaling last week in the Sunday Times, he wrote a throwaway paragraph at the end of his column. A lot of people picked up on this where he said, I'd also wager a bet that England will pay a lot of attention to Sexton, who is important to Ireland. If they tackle hard and happen to get him off the field, things would be a lot easier. Now, it sounds like Delalio since then, has received a few strongly worded emails from this part of the world. His latest column, not only does he play the happy shamrock card by citing his Irish bloodline Mm. on his mother's side. (laughs) Come on. Yep. But (laughs) Lawrence Delalio actually is half Irish. (laughs) Who knew? But he also says the following, I was not advocating England deliberately try to get Sexton off the pitch and not in a million years would I want to see any player in an England jersey deliberately try to injure an opponent. But you know, you just got to go and you got to run mm. at the out half from time to time. A legitimate clarification or the first sign that the red rose is wilting? You decide, Murph. I, well, I think, I think that the red rose has already wilted. I mean, it's February. It's not, a, yeah, it's still February. It's, it's February. It's not a good time to be a red rose. On, and I, I get the impression that uh, Sorry, before it even reaches... Sorry, gardening tips. 
Oh God, that takes me back. Uh, yeah, no, I, I really don't think on that. Uh, this is that this is good for England. I think Wilton we asked we've already won the, the Red Rose. The Rose has always had thorns on. Doesn't surprise me to hear this kind of talk from Delalia. One of those thorns, though, is Dan Cole, which has broken off the Red Rose. Yeah. <laughs> if Sexton has any room left on the inside of the door to his locker for more motivational quotes. I'm sure he'll be sticking up the study conducted by New Zealand Rugby Union's senior scientist, Ken Quarry. Ken, listen to this. Yeah. I found this info in a piece on thescore.ie by Murray Kinsler. Now, this New Zealand scientist analysed goal-kicking success in international rugby yeah. from 20 to, uh, 2002 to 2011, taking in various factors. It's pretty easy just to measure the percentages. They're already there. But he took in, uh, I don't know, climactic factors and the difficulty of the stadium that the player, the kicker was kicking in. And he placed Johnny Sexton 91st in the world, 51 places below Paddy Wallace. I'm sorry to bring Paddy Wallace into it here. Sorry, but 51 just, places below Paddy Wallace. Paddy Wallace is number four. I'm just bringing Paddy Wallace in as, as a barometer okay, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paddy Wallace is number f- 40. 41. Anyway, the point is Johnny 41. Sexton's 91. And O'Gara's not particularly high either. He's somewhere around the, the 30s or, or 40s. I think I saw. Johnny Sexton is the kind of guy, by the way. I know you slagged me off last year for bringing up his book, Murph, quite often. But I haven't yep. brought it up in a while. And there was one passage in that where he's watching the rugby club or whatever it is in Sky. And they're all talking about the Lions, possible Lions team. This is the start of the season. They all go for Sexton at number 10. And Yian Evans says, oh, Johnny Sexton, great number 10. Shoe in for that position. And of course, you have Lee Halfpenny possibly to take the kicks, the place kicks, you know, if, it, mm. if it comes down to that. Everybody's texting Johnny Sexton straight away going and talking to him, going, well, well done, did you see the rugby club? They all say, Evans said, you're amazing. And he, was, he had looked at that rugby club again. Yeah. Much like Roy Keane seeing that one fan give him the finger yeah. in Dublin or wherever it was all those years ago. He was thinking, Yian Evans has just slammed my goal kicking. Well, he, in so terms he did. Sexton is the kind of person who might just read this mm. uh, p- uh, quote. Ken Quarry. This Ken Quarry survey. <laughs> I really hope that it, the game boils down to a, a last minute kick by Jonathan Sexton and all Sexton's thinking about Ken Quarry. No, he did. He, he thought about the Yian Evans thing. Hope he stayed up late. He thought about Ken the Yian Evans thing when he was taking a kick. He said yeah. that thought ran through his head. That Yaya Evans is slagging me up. I'm pretty sure he said that. He, he, some strange things go through these kicker sets. England's newfound humility. We'll be talking about that very shortly with yeah, Shane we, Horgan. We don't, we, don't, we don't like it. We're refusing to believe it. And former England out half Paul Grayson. Uh, we spoke to US Murph last Thursday about Michael Sam, the college football player who set to become the first openly gay active NFL player. Now, publicly, this has been greeted very positively in the US, but unnamed executives told Sports Illustrated that actually this is going to be a major problem in the dressing room environment over there. And we thought it was an interesting story because it was one of those ones that is, is an international story, really. Now, there is a school of thought that, uh, how is this still a big deal? Why is it even a story? But for better or worse, I think it is still a big deal. You've probably heard Neil Francis on Off the Ball yesterday describing the rugby dressing room as a homophobic place and saying that gay people have no interest in sport these sort of attitudes still seem to exist Ken. yeah and, I, and I, you know Neil Francis I think is, is uh, has been roundly criticised for his views yeah I think fairly so that seems to seems to be uh, ongoing and uh, it's it's pretty difficult I think for him to to stand over what he said really um, because I think I think I mean it's it's hard to know with, with Neil Francis exactly where he was coming from did he come out with it as a sort of a contrarian point? Did he want to be a little bit controversial? I mean, he did He did say in that interview that he was a little bit annoyed by all of the talk about the Sochi Olympics and the kind of gay rights debate in Russia and that it actually put him off. So maybe he kind of felt that, you know, he wanted to make a point like this, but he didn't make the point very well. Mm. Um, I mean, what he said effectively was that, uh, you know, in his experience, 
gay people aren't interested in sport. Which, <laughs> and then he, he, he referred to hairdressers. He said in the hairdresser, do a survey of the hairdressing industry, how many heterosexual people work in that, mm. for instance. So what, it se- what he seemed to be saying was, or what he seemed to have f- fallen into the trap of, it sounded to me like, was uh, this kind of idea that to be gay automatically means to be camp or to be sort of fabulous. You know what I mean? That's kind of the, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you don't see, for instance, a fabulously camp gay hairdresser type uh, in a rugby team. Therefore, gay people aren't interested in in sport. He said in his own experience that uh, any gay people he's talked to don't have an interest in sport. And I guess he was extrapolating from that. That that means no gay people or all gay yeah. people don't have an interest. In so it is. So it's a it's a stereotype. It's a kind of a crude generalization. You know, it's like saying, you know, uh, Jews are greedy, something like that. Mm. You know, that, that, I mean, I think everybody can kind of hear a statement like that and think, well, you know, that's that's evidently an anti-Semitic myth. This is a, this is like uh, you know, this this is in the same kind of territory. I mean, it's 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 to take this narrow interpretation of what being gay means. And extrapolating from that to cover all gay people, mm. you know, um, and I mean, obviously, France, you know, France is taking plenty of criticism, and I don't know how this is going to play out for him. But you know, obviously, what he says is something that a lot of people still. But this believe. is the point. I think that's why it's important to bring it up and even to mention it now because it is maybe indicative of the attitudes that. Uh, and again, we don't want to fall in the trap of tiring everybody with the same brush. But Neil Francis is a really smart, uh, really good sports columnist mm-hmm. and he has these views and he's expressed these views which would lead you to believe that maybe that these views are more widely held than we'd like to believe yeah. within sport. I mean, he expressed them. He didn't invent them. Um, you know, I think the, you know, to, to what extent he should be blamed for continuing to hold them, I don't know. I mean, it, probably he should try to, uh, <laughs> I don't understand patronising towards Neil Francis, but maybe he needs to uh, learn a little bit more. I mean, not just assume that uh, one type uh, of person stands for every. You know, it's it's it, that that is the the essence of stereotyping, and uh, and that's why what he said is is problematic. All right, we're going to be talking about the greatest hurling team of all time today. At least that's how Kilkenny were being talked about up until last season. Now uh, the general consensus seems to be that they have to change and change quite dramatically if they're going to pull it off this year. They didn't seem to be radically different in their approach to the game against Clare, but only one league game gone. We'll talk about that. Brian Cody was, I don't know if you read Cody's piece with Keith Duggan or Keith Duggan's piece with Brian Cody at the weekend of the Irish Times. It was really fascinating. There were so many... It was, I thought the dynamic of that interview was very interesting because you've got um, obviously one of the top journalists anywhere as far as, as far as I'm concerned, sports journalist Keith Duggan, asking these really smart questions. Brian Cody seeming, seemingly very respectful of the questions and quite engaged by it. And yet you're thinking, can Cody be for real? Can he really be as unaffected by defeat as he says he is? Can he really feel that Henry Shefflin is not singular within the camp? Can he? Are these honest answers? They seem yeah. to be. Is it because they're consistent with what he's always said? And if Keith Duggan finds that after spending a considerable amount of time with him, presumably, then that's the way Cody certainly is always going to be with yeah. the media. No, it is. It, it is kind of strange, you know. And I think that uh, the attitude that everyone had going into... At the, say in January of this year, right? What's going to happen in the hurling championship this year? And to think that Kilkenny wouldn't be part of the conversation. I mean, I think that the impression that everyone took from last year was that okay, this is a whole brand new start. And then you look at the bookies' odds. Kilkenny are favourites to win the All Ireland. Uh, they were even favoured to win in Ennis 
yesterday. And to to think that right, okay, they're but they're going to have to change. You know that they have all these brilliant players. So if if they're going to win the Ireland, they're going to change in some way. They're going to adapt and they're going to win. You know what would be a very satisfying All Ireland. But the thing you took from the the interview on Saturday was that if anything is going to change, it's going to be personnel. Yeah, Cody's prepared to change personnel, but the idea that he would change the game plan, what he thinks about hurling. There's, there doesn't appear to be any chance of that happening. His last answer, just to clarify, you say Henry is singular within the camp. Well, I wouldn't go with that, you see. He's part of the panel. I'm on record what I think of him as a player and person and leader and everything. That will never change. But he's a player in our panel now and he's working away as he always has done. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a yeah, blind Cody answer if I, ever there was Yeah, a... I can't believe that that's true. We're joined uh, now to talk about the English mindset going into the game on Saturday by Paul Grayson, who played 32 times for England over the course of nearly a 10-year career and was also with Northampton for virtually his entire career as a player, also as a coach. Uh, delighted to be joined now by Paul. Paul, just first of all on the news today that Dan Cole is out injured. It's obviously a big blow to England's front row. Now, maybe the only silver lining to a certain extent is that they do at least get a bit of time planning here. It was late last week, I think, that he was feeling the neck problem. They've ruled him out already over the weekend, so at least have the rest of the week to get a plan in place. Yeah, they do. They do. You always want to know early if, if you're going to have to make changes. It's such a critical position for England. And Dan Cole's been under the cosh with workload, but Davey Wilson being injured, of course. Now, he um, he played a little bit for Bath at the weekend, Davey Wilson. So I guess that's the little silver lining in the cloud. It's interesting, Paul, I found in the build-up to this, that a couple of times the Leinster-Northampton game, as we mentioned, the one in, in Dublin where Northampton came off that, I think they would call it themselves, quite an embarrassing defeat at home, went away and just dominated Leinster. It's, uh, Dylan Hartley has mentioned this. Wales were actually talking about it, if I remember correctly, in the build-up to the game uh, against Ireland. Are you, are you pleased to see that, the, that there seems to be the, a Northampton blueprint for the England team going into this game? Well, it's- you, normally, your national team reflects your domestic game and the strengths that lie within that. And obviously, Northampton are running hot at the moment with um, sitting top of the league. And, and, and really, bar that humiliation at home, they've not really put a foot wrong, I suppose, this season. One loss against Cast probably cost them qualification in the Heineken Cup. But outside that, they've been very physical, very powerful. Um, and obviously, you want to take good memories into into big games so the feel good from winning away um, it doesn't take away the horrific display at home mm. um, and the spectacular performance by Leinster I might add it doesn't take that away it doesn't mean it doesn't happen but um, the last shot they fired against uh, what is I guess just about two thirds of the Irish team was a good one Northampton going into that game had I would say almost identical mindset to the Irish mindset against New Zealand because we went in off the back of a fairly horrible performance against Australia and we've all talked about this New Zealand game since and wondered how do you get back to that level, how do you get to that emotional pitch. Is it possible for England or Ireland to go into this game at the weekend with that same fear because it seemed as though in both those games, Northampton away to Leinster and Ireland playing against New Zealand, the players on those teams were really fearful. They'd already taken a hiding. They thought they could get another one and they, almost their professional reputations were on the line. Is it possible to get to that level going into this game? And it's, it, that, but that's the beauty of sport, isn't it? It's trying to find, how do you unlock that performance? How do you unlock the performance where um, historically England and Ireland are pretty good when they're underdogs? You know, put them on the back foot, tell them they can't do something and they can come up with a performance that'll that'll blow you away. It's when you get that favourites tag, England haven't had it for a while, how you carry that how you carry that with you and that that drive your performance as opposed to 
um, good old fear of failure. So I think quietly for Ireland, everyone's been talking about Wales to win the championship and record a historic third, you know, resurgent England and, and all that sort of stuff. I think Ireland quietly just sitting there, letting everybody talk about everybody else, stewing a little bit because they've been they've been slightly ignored and actually now I think they can sniff a grand slam. Yeah, you mentioned Wales there. I think they've been doing the big talk or they certainly were before the, the game in Dublin. It's been notable over the last couple of seasons that this humility that Stuart Lancaster has talked about publicly with regard to the England team. It certainly seems as though there's no big talk. I mean, is, is it a, a PR stunt by Lancaster? Is it mainly just that he wants to get put this idea across outside the camp of a, a humble England team or is it something that he genuinely, you feel, saw when he came in that he needed to just keep people keep some of his players down on an uneven keel. Yeah, just look at the last post-2003 World Cup. It's not been a great time for English rugby. There's been the occasional highlight. You know, we've been to a World Cup final since then, but when Stuart came in after the World Cup in 2011, England were about as low as you can get as an international team. You know, they're not... um, We're never the most popular team, we accept that, but they put themselves in a position where... um, played disastrously. Their off-field uh, behaviour and the perception uh, around the game was that England are not a nice bunch of people. They're not playing good rugby, but they talk a lot. So that needed fixing. Um, and Stewart's come in and that's his approach. He's a thinker. He's a humble bloke himself. He wanted to. He wants his England team to look like a bunch of people who are proud and privileged to be representing them and all the people who all the history and the um, and the, the popular the rugby pop, watching population who follow their team how they would want to see their their star players perform so being humble and and all the best athletes all the best performers across any sport the very very best have that about them yes they're brilliant they they are different level but also have an understanding of what it takes on an emotional level to be the best and, and to stay at the top so um, he's worked very very hard at that and it's paying off Yeah I'm trying to think of some of the greatest athletes of all time your Muhammad Ali's and Michael Jordan's these kind of guys I think I don't think they were afraid of being a little bit cocky Is there, but you do seem to think that the, you prefer the idea of England being a bit understated I, I, I think it's the right way to behave um, you know Brian O'Driscoll as an example he you know, he can solve the puzzle in many ways, as flashy as you like, but he he doesn't do it all the time. Every now and again, he reminds you just how good he is. Um, you know, that ball in the legs he passed against Northampton was a real, you know, statement of I'm still around. Don't forget about me. Watch this sort of thing, which is great. But as a as a hardworking, humble, shoulder to the wheel sort of player with a breathtaking level of skill, he's your ideal. He's an example. He sits in that rarefied atmosphere of one of the true greats so you know if if you want a model of a player who do you want to be like that's the sort of person you want to be like Jason Robinson for England um, you know a humble guy a quiet guy but given the ball on the field completely different animal um, and, and that's what I, that's what good teams look like that's what great players look like so Stuart Lancaster's searching for that and that's um, he's invested a lot of energy in it O'Driscoll's going to be up against Luther Burrell amongst others but Burrell's a Northampton man am I right in saying that he would embody what you're talking about there he seems to be he's come onto the scene a little bit late I guess from an England point of view uh, in his mid-twenties but he, he seems to be aside, aside from the size and the athleticism that he has he seems to have that ethic that you're talking about I, I think so also you know, I think it's good that players can still um, 
develop later in their game. Uh, you know, I don't subscribe to this. If you haven't cracked it by the time you're 21, your career's over as an international. That's it. Shouldn't be like that. The game players do develop at different rates, and, and Luther's a late bloomer. But what a, what a good time for for him to be coming into the team. Although, you know, once Tuolangi is back fit and Dad Barrett's 100% fit, that midfield area is going to be a a real challenge for all of them. But um, he'll have his hands full this weekend, Luther. That's for sure. I'm sure you're looking forward to it, Paul. What are you, you reckon that there is a Grand Slam for Ireland? Are you predicting an Ireland victory in Twickenham? I, I think it's very, very tight. I would, I would slightly favour Ireland, um, just because of the way that they're playing. I've got huge admiration for Joe Smith as a coach. I think a lot of that Leinster stuff running through the team now. Johnny Sexton looks pretty happy. So I would think, um, yeah. If I was going to put a pound on, I'd put it on Ireland, but um, as an Englishman, obviously, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, you're lulling us into a sense of security here. I think, Paul Grayson, isn't great to talk to you. Enjoy the game. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Are you paying too much for your current account? Maybe it's time for a change. At KBC, everyone can bank for just €2 Euros a month. That's the price of a coffee. Just use your KBC debit card for purchases or cash back for free and avoid those annoying ATM charges. Oh, and did we mention you also get free internet and mobile banking? And before you ask, yes, your bank could be charging you for all these. Other fees and charges apply. Visit changeyourbank.ie, call one 800 or pop in for a coffee at any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Two euros a month is based on a quarterly fee of six euros. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. It is nice to hear even some English former English players tipping Ireland to win this game, although maybe it is the security that we're being lulled into here. They do seem, Shane Horgan is, uh, has been listening to Paul Grayson there. Shane, they do seem to be pretty serious about this humility thing. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a key word for a lot of teams and a lot of individuals, but I sometimes think it's lost. You know, if you're constantly going on about hum, how humble you are, I think it defeats the purpose a little bit. But uh, with that in mind, I think there has been a bit of a recalibration um, for the English team in the last while, and it's, it's placed team over the individual. And I think for a, for a time, it's because England were so successful, especially during my generation, and I suppose it's the generation that, you know, watched uh, watched England have all the success that is now in the jersey or was in the jersey a, a, a few years ago, and I think you know the achievement for for I think there was the achievement for a lot of the English players was to actually get the English jersey, and that was the height of the achievement, and they were almost living off the success that had existed uh, previously, um, because you know England had, had been so successful. But now I think with um, with uh, Lancaster, you know, it's it's more a focus on actually achieving something in the jersey as opposed to just getting the jer- jersey? The, it's a similar conversation that we had, I guess, before the Wales game, and that is how certain mindsets suit certain countries and players from certain countries. I, I would have always thought that maybe it's just the players were better, I guess, in 2003, but that it kind of suited that England team to be as they were. They could march over to Dublin and Lansdowne Road and they could win a Grand Slam quite comfortably. Uh, and it seemed like maybe they were helped by this, uh, this aura that they put out there, whereas this current England team isn't trying to do that. Yeah, I think it's it's hard when you know when you have a, a group of players like that previous English team was. They were just remarkable. That was a remarkable English team. You know, they were so successful uh, in the Six Nations, but also you know what they did in the Southern Hemisphere, then winning a World Cup. So you had you know players that had had won so much and also had an insane belief in their um, in, in their ability and their ability to win. And it was to be honest with you, that was based on fact because very often they did it so it's hard not to get caught up in that a little bit and it's hard 
more so even if you don't do it overtly, not to give off that, uh, you know, era, that, sorry, that aura of, um, you know, we think we're invincible and, you know, not being very humble. I think if you look at the England team of the last number of years, certainly since Lancaster took over and um, prior to that in the World Cup, they hadn't the level of success and they didn't have the level of players. And These players aren't winning a lot of competitions. They're not winning European competitions either. So if you're not you know, winning tournaments for England, you're not winning uh, European competitions, you know, where, does, where does it come from? Where does that um, um, invincibility come from? And uh, I don't think it, it, it existed. It had no basis to exist. So... What Lancaster did was maybe inform them of that and, you know, as I said, recalibrate the ideas of, of what you need to be successful and, you know, how successful you have been. And if you, if you haven't won anything, you sort of have to start and build step by step and step. And then I think that confidence grows over time. Just to go back to this idea, Shane, of England uh, the, uh, and the mindset that they're bringing into it, is it easy to wrap your head around the idea of a quiet, humble England team. Are all those players just subjugating natural urges to, you know, to, to be English rugby players? Well, you know, if, I, I, I think you've got to look at them as individuals as well. You know, I think it's, it's unfair just to say this is what English rugby players are. This is how they behave. You know, they're, they're not humble or they, you know, they're um, braggarts or they're, you know, they're really into themselves. Like, you know, you've got to look at the group of individuals, uh, you know, and say, you know, what is that person like? This is, you often you get a full spectrum throughout a team. You know, very occasionally if you've got a culture that uh, can develop because of a couple of individuals and that culture can be good or bad. I think at the moment they've got a, you know, a good one and I don't think that we need to second guess it and go, you know, they're just, <laughs> they're hiding behind. This so, but their their real intentions and their true nature is is to be you know to be uh, something that that we wouldn't appreciate you know and I also think it's got a limited enough effect on the game. You have to have a level of confidence in your in yourself and your own ability, and you have to be able to bring that to the game. So you know, I, I don't I think that if you don't have some element of that. Um, I think you won't be as as good a player as you can be. Um, I don't think there's necessarily um, something hiding behind it. And I think if Lancaster has suppressed it, I think it's for the benefit of his team. Fortunately, Lawrence Delaglio gave us something to get angry about, mildly angry about anyway. It seemed like he got a few, um, a little bit of correspondence last week after seeming to implore England to take Johnny Sexton out. Now he kind of clarified himself this time around he says that he wasn't actually saying that an England player should go out and injure any rugby player just that you have to pay particular attention to the, the fly half are you happy that he clarified himself? Well, yeah I think he probably just was a little inelegant in the way he spoke but I think um there's never been a rugby team who hasn't said we're going after the 10 channel ever I think that's just the standard of every coach you always say well okay listen this 10 you know we're going to go through but generally they're not the biggest players I'd say Johnny Sexton is not a good example of that because he's an excellent tackler you know he can really defend his channel but what I would say is if you've got huge men uh, running down the channel and you know Johnny is brave and he'll make tackle after tackle after tackle you will get fatigued and, um, you know, if you are fatigued, uh, you will make your decision making will be um, impaired. You know, you won't uh, physically you'll be impaired as well. And Johnny's such a key player in the team that, you know, it's, it's a sensible it's a sensible decision to do to go after him. Also, the England team, they're not the most expansive team. They don't have a, a great skill set in the center. Uh, the wingers actually, you know, again, are limited skills. Now, all, you know, they're. 
tough players who work hard, but they don't have a, a really vibrant game. So it makes sense for them to go to a channel where, you know, uh, that they don't have to move the ball. There's not many mistakes you can make between getting the ball from the set piece uh, to one channel out and then running at the 10 there. And, uh, you know, I think it's probably a decent plan for England. Yeah, he, Delario talked about trying something similar with Stephen Larkham years ago uh, in the World Cup final against Australia, also against Ron O'Gara for Wasps. And he says, what the, uh, the phrase was interesting, he says, we want to make sure that he was, the out half was too busy surviving to think about how he might hurt us. So that's probably what you're talking about there. It's not necessarily, you're not necessarily going to injure the out half and get him off the field, but you are going to uh, keep him too busy to concentrate on what he's supposed to be doing in a playmaking capacity. Of course, and listen, the Ireland team will be identifying Farrell as well. And you know what's often you know viewed, especially if you've got a, a ten who um, really pulls the strings. You know, sometimes you've got a team and you have a, a twelve, and you're playing, you know, almost um, you know two uh, a first five eight and a second five eight. Either one can 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 be first receiver off the breakdown. Also, some teams have a full back who you know um, takes a lot of ball, like Gerard um, uh, Payne up in Ulster. You know, he can step in. Uh, Ulster is actually the perfect example of that because they've got Paddy Jackson when he's playing as well. He can step into that ten role as well and uh, you know um, and uh, and uh, Paddy Wallace also so they've got those three guys who can link up uh, first 5-8 second 5-8 and, and a full back who can all take control of the game now um, I think Ireland can do that a little bit but you know Johnny is the main controller of the game I think Farrell in England, though, really has to control uh, the game for England. Like, he is almost always the first receiver. And so I will bet, you know, uh, that the, uh, Joe Smith is in the, in the, in the, um, either on the training park or in the, uh, in the room beforehand, the team room, going, actually, when you make a tackle, try and don't be in any rush to get up off Farrell because if he's on the ground then he won't be the first receiver. And then you've got somebody who's uncomfortable being the first receiver in that first receiver role. That's like every team does that. Yeah, just so, ask, yeah. you know, I don't think Delalio is, is, is coming out with something that's, you know, very controversial. Yeah, I don't think so. Just lastly, Dunica Ryan played 60 minutes against Zebre. He's in a 33-man squad name today. Redden is in there as well. I, I don't think anyone's expecting many changes, but is it possible for any of these guys to force their way onto the bench maybe? Um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be impossible, and it wouldn't surprise me if Joe did it. Uh, I don't necessarily think it, um, it w- will be the case. I think um, you know Redden, yeah, maybe he could, he could go. I, I, I think uh, you know Boss is, is 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 a very diligent player. Uh, you know what you're going to get. Um, his box kick is excellent as well. Um, so you know he could easily stay there, and the team wouldn't be massively weakened. I think there's a number of calls like that right around the team, and I don't think it's just on the bench either. I think there's a number of calls. You think you could make a change in the wing, and it, you know it wouldn't make a huge, it wouldn't be hugely impactful, you know, in a negative sense um, as well on either of the wings. You possibly say there's an argument to be said that you know Marshall could do a job in the centre as well. Um, I think you're right with Redden and Boss and these guys. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's not much between them and, and um, Connor um, Murray. So, you know, there's a, there's a few areas around the pitch. Oh, the second row as well. As you said, you know, Dunica Ryan can come in. We saw how well uh, Tuvi did when, when he came in. Uh, he's injured now. I think Henderson as well. He could, he could uh, impact on the, the team as well. So it's a very fortunate position that we're in. And uh, I think it will be very much based on, you know, the, you know, the, the, how the camp went and how, uh, how things go over the first couple of days of the training camp. There's no longer a case, uh, uh, as we saw with the Darcy selection, there's no longer a case that Joe will hold a position open for you all week. 
Um, and I think that just shows the strength of, um, of the team, you know. So if you're not performing, you're not training on the Monday or Tuesday, the chances are you won't be playing on the Saturday or the Sunday. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to it. Shane, thanks a million. All right, thanks a million. What do you think, Murph, of the Shane Horgan master plan there? Sit on Owen Farrell? Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, who, who, I mean, we, should we earmark one I think particular we all, I, I think we all. I think we all know the person that, well, Mike No, Mike we, you, can't, you can't say Mike Ross. Mike Ross. Well, I mean, that's just the name that came, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just the name that came to the mind. body shape, possibly yeah. you would go for Mike Ross. I mean, Devin Tone is a big man, but Mike Ross, if I recall the stats correctly, I was reading the heights and weights. I, mean, I always get really interested in this. When I know, like to the match program, degree, yeah. the exact same as me Can as well. Yeah. he weigh that much? He seems small. But uh, yeah, I think Mike Ross actually weighs more than Devin Toner. He weighs more than Devin Toner. Yeah. There's a foot in the difference in yeah. height, is there? I would say, a, well, nearly a foot in the difference in height. Although, yeah... I suppose it's quite shocking, but Devin, you know... So you would want... Uh, there's a lower centre of gravity, shall we politely call it, with Mike Ross, so you'd want him to sit on Owen Farrell. How long could you get away with sitting on Farrell for? Maybe 60, 70 minutes? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, you know, he is required in the scrums, you know. I mean, are we, are we talking about actually having Mike Ross purposely <laughs> offside at all of the Irish scrums, <laughs> sitting on Owen Farrell at it's first receiver? game of percentages, Murph. Maybe that's the, the, Listen, the percentage to there's play. there's no such thing as the Joe Schmidt game plan. <laughs> You know, yeah, everyone has said that. Horses for courses, yeah. Yeah, I mean, horses for courses, you know. One day you ask Mike Ross to scrummage, another day you ask him to sit on another human being for <laughs> an hour and a half. <laughs> second cap, it's football. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you known? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, Pax. I'd say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield. I'm going to see them. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Champions League is back this week, Owen. One of the sides in action is PSG, this sort of billionaire money monster, which is going to try and run amok now in the knockout stages. So we're going to talk a little bit with Simon Cooper about the advent of this type of thing, the sugar daddy uh, model in France, where Monaco and PSG are now running away with the title. Uh, Robert Perez was talking about this recently, wasn't he? Mm, he thinks it's uh, he thinks it's great. Yeah, so we're going to talk a bit about whether that's a, that's a popular view, but there's a lot of other stuff to, to talk about. Yeah, well, about. the weekend. Yeah. The fact yeah. that Kieran here is a specialist in failure, I'm not. So, sorry, what? Well, I mean, you are a specialist in failure. Well, how am I a specialist in failure? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit. Tune in to find out. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, you're just just pointless name calling. Claire Beacon Kenny. You, that's, that's, you wouldn't see you wouldn't see it in the Berkeley <laughs> Premier League. That's pretty yeah. much it. Actually, that's coming up a little bit later on. But Claire Beacon Kenny in their opening game as All Ireland champions in the league. Uh, Kilkenny are still favourites though, Murph. This is what we want to get to now. We're going to talk to Christy O'Connor in a moment. It's it's a funny one. It did seem to be that there was a sense that they were written off last year that. The end has come of this great mm. team. Cool. And yet they're favourites for the All-Ireland. Yeah. Despite all these other teams, despite uh, where uh, Clare came from, Limerick from last year. I was going to mention Dublin, then I remember the result of the mm. weekend. Uh, Waterford are supposed to be a coming team, and yet Kilkenny are still favourites at the start. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Cody Port. actually used the word uh, euphoria to describe, you know, sort of the, the death of Kilkenny, as people were calling it last summer. I mean, and there, I, mean I don't know if it was euphoria purely at Kilkenny being gone, it was obviously much more tied in to the fact that we had different teams yeah. winning all of these titles. So obviously people are going to be happy with that. Uh, but uh, 
yeah, you would still think that that would have been factored into the thinking for this year's championship and that Kilkenny, if not out of the running entirely, would have come back into the pack to a major, major degree. That's, but they're still favourites. I mean, it's, I, I was very surprised by it. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised by it, but I was. Chris O'Connor, journalist and author, what do you think? Are Kilkenny legitimate bookies' favourites? I suppose look at Owen, um, Kilkenny are Kilkenny, and you know, I suppose one bad year isn't necessarily going to mean that they're gone away, um, you know, and that that's them done and dusted. But uh, and I just think, I suppose, look at the fact that the, the championship was so open last year and so many teams have come through, and I suppose clear winning such a brilliant All Ireland has probably changed things a little bit. But you know, teams are still, um, I suppose, bookies are reluctant to kind of, you know, give the last rights to Kilkenny. I suppose you could look at 2010 when you know they were beaten by Tip and. Everybody was, um, you know, predicting a glorious future for Tipperary and that Hurling was going to change and Kilkenny were going to struggle and they came back and won two All-Irelands. Um, but, you know, you could say that maybe go back, look at Kerry in the in the 80s that when Kerry, you know, they failed to win the five in a row and they came back and they won three in a row and then when, when, when I suppose, that sequence ended and, um, you know, Kerry struggled for a long time. I don't think you're going to see that same pattern with Kilkenny, but um, as regards Kilkenny, you know, are they still the, the All Ireland favourites? Um I honestly wouldn't say so, Owen. Um, you know, I think that um, you know, they're still gonna be a massive challenge. They're still gonna be, you know, for many counties a team to beat. But um I just think that uh, you know, the, the game has changed a little bit and um you know what Kilkenny are always gonna be a massive threat. They're always gonna be a team that, you know, mentally will, will um you know, will will put the fear of God into teams. But I don't think that, that same fear is still there and um you know, look at from what I saw yesterday, you know, you, you look at you look at take the game in isolation yesterday. Kilkenny had goal chances, you know, they had six league debutants. Um, they still have some of their main players come back: Michael Fenley, Richie Hogan, T.J. Reid. Some of these guys, they only they only lost by a point. Um, but I don't know. I I just feel myself that looking at some of the players yesterday, um, you know, some great great players. You know, you just wonder how much more gas can you get into the tank of some of the older players. You know, I don't know how good some of these younger guys are, and. Um, you know, I don't know if, if you can make older players faster. So I, I just thought myself, you know, in the last 15 minutes, it was very evident that, um, you know, Clare, you know, once they Clare had greater class or they had greater, you know, ability, but they just me- seemed to have that bit more zip and that bit more pace and that bit more, um, you know, dash about them. And, um, you know, I suppose that's the thing for Kilkenny. You know, you could look at yesterday and you could say that Kilkenny had an awful lot of work done. You know, maybe this is a, a bit of a misnomer in the Clare, you know, or you know, propagating this, you know, belief that, oh, they were way behind the 24 less sessions done than they had at this time last year. You know, a lot of these guys are in college, they're playing Fitzgibbon, that, you know, they're, they're you know, maybe they're putting more into their, their game than maybe, you know, outside of training that teams would have in the past. Mm. But, um, you know, like, and it, you wouldn't have said that Clare, those conditions would have ideally suited Clare yesterday, and especially when a lot of these Kilkenny guys had been training, the younger fellas in particular, have been training since the 1st of November, and they've a lot of work done, but, you know, you would imagine that once the ground gets harder, that maybe that you know the likes of Clare are going to get better. Um, you know, you would have felt that yes, Kilkenny maybe would have been able to close out that game. You know, given that they had that maybe greater um, you know work in the bank. But um, I don't know, lads. Maybe I'm talking around old fashion there, but I just don't know if Kilkenny really are going to have the legs and are going to have the gas. Um, you know, come the come the summer, and that's why I would say that I wouldn't feel myself that they're favourite South Ireland. But look at you know, Kenny. Lad. Yeah, you, you were looking to fully write them off. Yeah. put them down easily. The fear that you mentioned there is interesting because we see this with Manchester United this season. Suddenly, every team, no matter who they are, are going to Old Trafford and saying, "Hang on, these guys." maybe we should have been trying harder all along these guys aren't all they're cracked up to be now that's unfair to Uncle Kenny in particular because the manager hasn't gone Cody is still there but there does seem to be a sense certainly that 
Kilkenny aren't going to have teams beaten before they get on the field, which may have been the case uh, going back three, four years. Absolutely, and I suppose you could say that first started with maybe the 2012 Leinster final when Galway went up and just blitzed them, and you know, um, you know, I suppose look at you've seen Kilkenny as well in the last couple of leagues that, um, you know, like even last year, you know, they lost their opening two games and. They, you know, they, they had to win their their third game to kind of stay out of a relegation dogfight. You no, know, they subsequently went on and won the league. But um, you know, they're maybe losing games, and even you know, in the previous year's league as well, they were losing games. And um, even though Kilkenny are still winning league titles, that you know they're not. Um, you know, you go back there a few years ago to was it two thousand and nine, and they gave absolute like unmerciful hidings to Cork and Tipperary and a few other teams, and it was almost like you know, there was nearly the. You know, a dread hanging over some teams when you went, went, went down to play Kilkenny, especially Nolan Park. That same fear isn't there anymore. And um, I suppose look at even 2012 when, you know, they lost the Leinster final. Limerick gave them a right rattle. You know, the good win against Tip. They drew the Iron final. Um, you know, last year, I suppose, you know, even against Offaly in their first game, you know, they conceded four goals for the first time, I think, under Cody. Or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not... Hundred percent sure about that now, but um, you know that they had the last year Kilkenny didn't score. They scored one goal in the championship. Um, you know, I know they had injuries and they were, you know, they were like Kilkenny had so much to be, you know, proud of last year in the, in the way that they were struggling and they were, they were losing players and they were um, they didn't have the same form and the same you know power in their game. But you know, still no no team put them down easily. But I just think that you know there's been a gradual kind of erosion of that Kilkenny you know aura and um, you know if we look at it, it's like any great team when you lose great players. Maybe you do you do you do lose the same fear factor. When you look at even yesterday, you know when you look at a lot of the Clare players. I know Clare twelve of the All Ireland winning team starting yesterday. It's like Kilkenny had six day events, but a lot of these younger Clare players, you know, they lost. Some of them lost in All Ireland minor final Kilkenny in two thousand and ten. But you know, these guys have never lost to Kilkenny really at any underage. You know, they've Clare going for three hundred twenty one All Irelands in a row this year. Have a good chance if they can, you know, get out of Munster. A good chance they're going to win three in a row. Um, Whereas, you know, you look at the Kilkenny players in the past, lads, you know, they were super players, real, you know, players with X-Factor. And you could say that Kilkenny haven't really produced, you know, a forward with that X-Factor since probably Richie Hogan, you know, arrived maybe six or seven years ago. So, um, you know, the, the younger the younger Kilkenny players that are coming through now, even though they're good players, they maybe don't have the same, first of all, the same pedigree that the guys had in the past. And secondly, they don't, maybe not coming in with the same underage you know, success that um, they had in the past, and that the Clare boys have that now. So, I suppose look at the, the, the if you look at the way the, the the landscape has changed, like you know, over the last few years, that you know, we've had the likes of Waterford now, you know, who really a lot of people feel would are, are the next power coming power because even talk to the Clare and the Twenty One management, you know, Donald Maloney and Jerry O'Connor, they'll tell you straight out like that the best players they have faced in the last, you know, under their watch in the last three four years have been Waterford. The best underage teams they've played have been Waterford. So you know, you know, you look at Limerick; they won a, a Munster under twenty-one back in two thousand and eleven. Um, you know, Dublin have been successful at underage, albeit not as maybe successful as they would have liked. But they, you know, they've they've beaten Kilkenny. Um, you know that the landscape has changed, and maybe okay, it's you know, you could have said two or three years ago that it was going to change, and people would have said, well, Kilkenny and Tip are still going to be there. But a lot of these younger guys now that are coming on the scene, they have the confidence now that maybe the teams their predecessors didn't have. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about change there. And Jackie Tyrrell said towards the end of last summer that hurling was a possession game now. The days of hitting the ball long uh, are gone. And yet, when you listen to Cody and the way he's spoken in the off season and to Keith Duggan in the Irish Times even last Saturday, um, it it doesn't seem like there's any real um, 
appetite for change in Cody that if change is going to come for Kilkenny it's going to come via personnel not um, not via the game plan. Yeah, I have the uh, quote here from that. I've just illustrate that. He, he told Keith Duggan, I have, I've heard it for the past 15 years that there's a new way of playing the game. There may well be. I don't know everything about it, but I don't see it that way myself at all. I don't believe it for a second. Well, yeah, look, that's a very good question, lads. And it's a very good you know topic to bring up because I suppose a lot of people would feel that, you know, the, you know, I suppose if you look at last year, lads, you know, we brought up it earlier on about Kilkenny's lack of goals last year. What was evident really was you know, they didn't really have the pace to get away from, you know, the defenders. And, you know, that was really evident against Waterford in the first half against Waterford in the qualifier. Like that, They had three or four, you know, clear-cut goal chances where they were straight through and they just didn't have the pace to get away. And oh, look at it, you could say that, you know, Shefflin wasn't there, TJ Reid wasn't there. Some of their, their um, you know, their, their goal, real goal threats in the past, they were injured. And, you know, um, but even when these guys came back, I suppose, that, you know, look at, you know, the, the the game has become so dynamic now and defenders are so mobile and, that, you know, we'll say, you know I suppose what was really the, the most evident last year about Kilkenny's style was, you know, when you saw it against Tip, you know, it was like, you know, an absolute slugfest between the two full back lines. It was, you know, you get the ball, drive it long. Kilkenny got it, drove it long. Tip got it to nearly try and drive it as, 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 as far, you know, and like it was a game that was, you know, strangled by defenders and, you know, Kilkenny's defence, I suppose, you know, came out on top that day. All be, you know, although you know Kelly had a great chance, and if that goal had gone in, it could have been a completely different game. But you know, you would say that you know it was really evident against Cork when, especially when Kilkenny went down to fourteen men, and they needed to use possession that bit cleverer. And you could even make the same point about Cork against Limerick on Saturday night when you know Limerick were reduced to fourteen men, and you know Cork just in the second half, like Cork, I think was it they hit in sixteen long balls into their attack. And won six, like, and you know, you really the way the game has gone now, you have to be, you know, so precise and so accurate. And I suppose Kilkenny showed that in the 2011 All Ireland Final when you know they really played clever around the D, like the Tipper very, very, you know, had be, had showed in the 2010 final how how effectively they had shut down Kilkenny, especially around the D, and had shut down their goal threat. And Kilkenny were cued around that in 2011, and um, you know, played maybe more overlap hurling. But I suppose Kilkenny's attitude is, lads, that you know, look at you win your own possession. You know, and you know sometimes you can overhype and you can overplay tactics and game plans in hurling that it is an instinctive game. But I think when you look when you're coming up against teams like Clare now who maybe have that extra pace and have that extra ability to maybe you know to to create space like that. You know, it is a different ball game, and that you know if you look at even the most evident stat from yesterday really was the puck out stat, especially in the second half it was sixteen seven to to Clare right, and I think Clare won eight to Kenny puckouts, and that's something that. You know, you wouldn't see happening to Kilkenny that often, right? But it's like teams like Clare now, you know, they're going to try and negate Kilkenny in the air by, by knocking it to the deck and winning it on the deck, similar to what Galway did in the 2012 Leinster final and the draw in Ireland final. And, um, you know, teams feel that if they can deny Kilkenny possession in that regard, that, you know, they can maybe strangle them. And then the likes of Clare, you know, and I suppose, you know, you look at Clare and a lot of their game plan, lads, really is consistent work from the training ground and how they play and how they try and create space and, how they try and work on the overlap and, you know, break the tackle and, and, you know, you know, engineer the space for their runners inside. So, you know, I suppose to look at Cody's attitude is, you know, look at we work on the training ground, you know, you can maybe overplay tactics, but sometimes where, you know, doing what you've always done and, you know, hoping that, you know, that your 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 ball winners up front are going to win you enough position that <clears throat> you know, sometimes when, you know, your the teams that like, the defenders against you are, are breaking that position down and they're you know, maybe you have to be a bit more cute, and I suppose it comes back to the training ground. And you know, are you going to work on maybe these st- stuff like that in the training ground? And that's I suppose that's something that Kilkenny can only answer. But I would say they look at 
my point about Kilkenny is, you know, they probably will have to change to a degree because they just don't have the pace that they had in the past and they don't maybe have the same. And a lot of these great Kilkenny players, you know, they just have so much mileage on the clock now that maybe they need to do something, you know, you need to refresh it up a bit because some of these younger Kilkenny forwards, it's hard to know how good they are yet, lads. But, um, you know, I don't think they're as good as what Kilkenny were producing in the past. Just a quick word, Chrissy, on Clare. It was noted, I think, after they won the All-Ireland how well-behaved most of their players seemed to be. There was uh, no sense that these were a bunch of young lads who were going to go crazy for the next few months. And just judging by how they played, the pace they played at yesterday, how they looked physically, there, there wasn't the um, the usual post-All-Ireland timber being carried by too many lads. Yeah, but you look at that's the way it's gone, Olads. I think most of these young fellas, especially, you know, they've gr- they've grown up in a strength and conditioning environment where, you know, it's not like um, you remember like Dale was saying one time before, like when the Clare boys came back in the '96, he said like the the Clare half back and looked like the monster front row. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, <laughs> you know, you, you shed you shed the pounds like in March and April. That that doesn't happen anymore, you know. And like I suppose for Clare, really, you know, the big thing, lads, is given that they've so many of these younger guys who are coming in. You know, coming off under twenty one, Ireland winning teams, and are absolutely ravenous trying to get into the, the panel and trying to get trying to get into the team. You know, and that uh, you know a lot of these established younger players cannot take their their eye off the ball because um you know like there's somebody there's somebody there now who's gonna you know with a, with an underage pedigree that if they get to, if he gets a chance that you know could very well take it. And um you know I think the big thing for Clare le- yesterday was um you know I felt that you know they, when they got the structure of their team maybe better in the last fifteen minutes you know that. Um, you know, they, they started to dictate things a bit more. Podge, come on, centre forward, I thought, you know, made a big impact from a few big plays. Um, you know, Galvin went out midfield, you know, steadied things down a bit. And, you know, these younger guys just seem to be controlling. And these um, these guys I'm talking about are still 20, 21, 22. Um, you know, like, and very, very experienced. And I suppose yesterday showed as well, you know, what an All-Ireland win does feel. Like, um, you know, when Clare played Kilkenny last year, they shot 19 wide, just completely fired the game away yesterday. I think they're ten wide, and I'd say about four or five of those came in the last maybe twenty minutes. So, you know, very, very composed, very clinical when they had to be. Um, and you know, you even look at it, you could say Tony Kelly and Shane O'Donnell. I think it was a, a combined eleven plays between the two of them. Didn't play well yesterday, you know. And uh, so, like you know, these guys, um, you know, I'm sure that they will get better as the season goes on. And the, a lot of these guys as well, you'd imagine that they are more championship players than, than league players, you know. Yeah, Chrissy, brilliant stuff. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, lads. Pleasure. I like that line about the about the, the Clare was it the Clare half back line looking like the Munster front row or half four line I don't actually denigrate whichever line that was so it was the half back line I mean that, I don't think Daly would have said it about any other line other than himself said, oh yeah true enough you can be self-deprecating and take out the other two guys beside you if you want but actually I don't fully agree with Christy that this is the way it is now the teams are just better conditioned and that's that of course they are better conditioned than teams 20 years ago but in the first weeks of January and certainly even in February in the early stages of the league, I've seen All-Ireland champion teams yep. in both codes over recent years and I've looked at one or two players and I've thought, they don't look like that in the summertime. Yeah. Clare, no. Clare are a little different. They're a bit more, and I don't want to say they're more serious than other teams. That's completely disparaging towards the other teams. But they seem to have an attitude towards success and yeah. maybe towards celebrating success that you encountered after the All-Ireland last year that was quite surprising to you. Yeah, well, I, I think the um, the idea of, of hurling teams... You know, by their nature, they're all wearing helmets, so they're they're not as immediately recognisable as uh, rugby players or even Gaelic footballers. But I was walking around the Clare Hotel uh, after, the day after the Ireland uh, hurling final replay last year, and I was wondering who all of these really fresh-faced kids were wearing the sort of Clare team <laughs> yeah. uh, merchandise. You know, and then I, I 
sort of started looking, peering a little more seriously at them. And I realised that's basically all of their players. Tony Kelly, Podge Collins. Many of them just don't drink. Uh, they've had huge success in minor under 21 level. And it really seems like they they don't want to be the sort of the one-hit wonders. Um, that, you know, there, there was even a little bit of talk after the in October last year that, you know, Claire are good and, you know, I'm... I'm but no one was saying, all right, they're going to go on and dominate hurling for the next 10 ah, years. Ah, they were. I, they I'm not were sure. after the match. That's, that's all I heard was that they were going to dominate for the next no, 10 I years. Th- not I think, from the players, but from yeah, the Yeah, I think that it happened at much, to a much more pronounced degree at other times than it happened last year with Claire, I think. But, yeah, no, I, I think that... Uh, I, I didn't ex- expect to see too many of them uh, yesterday carrying a lot of timber, <laughs> yes. as you so delicately They wintered it. well, Murph, and in this case, they actually did winter well, as opposed yeah. to what people usually mean when they say somebody wintered well, and that no, is no, they, they, did. <laughs> they put on unnecessary pounds. They had a very good uh, physical winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Murph, thank you. Thank you, Owen. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you, Thanks, we'll be back Thanks, with Second Captain's Football a little bit later on. Loads going on there between the, uh, the Champions League and everything over the course of the weekend. So we're looking forward to that. Do get in touch with us on Twitter. You can follow us at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. Email secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Second captain, second captain. See you later. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 